You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Nick Little-Hales. It's very nice to meet you all, guys, on this uh, podcast. My name is Nick Little-Hales. I'm uh, classified as an elite sports league coach. Um, That's just because about two decades ago I got involved with sports and sleep. And along that journey we've been redefining what sleep means. And, um, you know, so here we are today. Uh, it's all about mental and physical recovery. It's about just trying to redefine what this sleep thing is. And, um, you know, it's great to be on your podcast. So, yes, I'm an elite sports league coach because the media titled me with that process about two decades ago. I'm joined today by Ryan Pulford. Ryan, how are we, mate? Yes, mate. I am not too bad. How are you? Yeah, not a bad, mate. Not a bad. Little um, little Friday morning feels to this episode today, ahead of the weekend. So that's yeah. nice. The first weekend that people can go out and about. So we're uh, sure people will be buzzing to listen to this to kind of get their sleep in ahead <laughs> of the big weekend. Or post hangover. Or post hangover. Yeah. Um, we should have asked. We should have asked Nick about that. Feel like a spoiler mm. there, we didn't. Although it feels kind of unprofessional to ask a, a sleep coach about how do I have a better hangover <laughs> sleep. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So today we've got uh, Nick Little Hales on the on the on the podcast. Then Nick Little Hales is a, a sleep coach, um, and I was doing some some googling right because we obviously know we all know how important sleep is. We all know how crucial it is both to. Um, both to kind of your, your well-being, but also to performance as well. And that's not just performance for elite athletes, as we'll kind of discuss with Nick, but also for, you know, you and I, for the, for the, for the average average person, you know, day-to-day, going to work, you'd always operate better when you've had a good sleep. And I was doing some Googling. I was on the Sleep Foundation's website. And apparently, so sleep issues associated with depression include insomnia, hypersomnia, and obstructive sleep apnea. Insomnia is the most common and is estimated to occur in about 75% of adult patients with depression. And it is believed that about 20% of people with depression have obstructive sleep apnea and about 15 have hypersomnia. So it's kind of demonstrative that poor sleep can be a contributor to, to poor mental health and equally poor mental health can be a contributor to poor sleep. Ergo, sleep is very important. So enter Nick Littlehale's sleep coach. I think that's kind of why we wanted to, to get Nick on, wasn't it? I think we just thought, very important, why not speak to the man who knows knows what he's talking about? Absolutely, yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And so, I think we covered all bases. We looked at it from a, a, a general well-being point of view and, and, as always, a little bit of sport and uh, performance in there as well. Absolutely. And we, got, we ended up on some sort of slightly tangential topics as well around the pressure that that athletes are under as well, didn't we? Which is which is quite interesting to explore in terms of 
how that affects their sleep. So, yeah, lots for the listeners to get their teeth into today, which brings me on to the theme. Ryan, do you want to give the listeners today's theme, please, mate? Yeah, so today's theme is if you want to deliver your personal best, more often than not, then it's got to be down to sleep. Fantastic. I think that, as you say, covers all the covers all the bases and 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 gives a little sort of accurate portrayal of what today's episode is going to be about. So that's our theme. Uh, and if you, the listener, pick up on anything that we haven't, then make sure to email us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us. Our handle is at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use that hashtag, where's the talking, lads? We're now going to hand you over to Nick Little Hales and we will see you for a brief discussion on the other side. You're listening to Man Marking. I think I read online that you first started in the, the late 90s after you reached out to, to Alex Ferguson and you found yourself working at the biggest club in the world under prob- arguably one of the greatest managers in the world. Can you sort of give us a background to how that came about and how you actually got into sleep therapy as a profession? I'm happy to do that, guys. But, uh, you know, anybody listening to this, don't get hung up on, you know, the journey. It's just... I happened to be in the sleep industry. I happened to be working around it. I thought the whole sleep industry was full of myths and misunderstanding. Uh, it just so happened I was in, you know, the Northwest, in Oldham, Manchester, sitting in my office. There just happened to be a local football club down the road called Oldham Athletic, not Manchester United. Oldham Athletic, like Berry and lots of clubs around the Northwest were you know, places where they, the breeding grounds for players in those days, the class of 92. So I didn't focus on Manchester United. It just happened to be the club down the road. Uh, it just happened to have a manager who is revered as a, one of the best managers on the planet um, in the leadership roles and business and all sorts of stuff. Um it was just a, a conversation that was happening in that moment in time. It was, you know, back in the late 90s, it, you know, no phones, no social media, no nothing. It was a weird place to start talking about this subject, guys. But I think, you know, Alex Ferguson, there was another manager at the time called Sam Allardyce, working at Bolton, who also had a, a sort of like a, open-ended agenda to how do we how could we make you know athletes like players you know perform at the highest levels all the time and what's going to come so they had a vision they had a a change of direction i just fell into that and along the journey from that um you know working within the national squad uh, a lot of the players from Manchester United would play for the international squad in 1998 World Cup. Uh, then you had this, you know, guy called Arsene Wenger came along and started to affect Arsenal's approach and the rest of the football league. And then, you know, along that journey, we've had all sorts of different types of people who've been affecting the process of change and stuff like that. So it's just been a a crazy old little journey uh, that started way back with Manchester United. But, you know, tonight it's all about Brentford and Swansea and West Bromley and Wolverhampton Wanderers and championship clubs and 
all sorts of stuff, you know, Norwich City, uh, and all sorts of the clubs just going like, you know, if, if you want to actually survive in this big old 24-7 world that we live in, then you've got to actually adopt a sort of recovery process, a natural recovery process called sleep that enables you to be at the highest levels that you can be. So you can always jump into Cristiano Ronaldo or the top clubs, Manchester City, Real Madrid, Bayer Leverkusen, RB Leipzig this year, Timo Werner, you know, it's the Lewandowski, you can, Danny Ings, you can jump into all these places where people, Joe Hart, you know, don't even quote me on those people because they get very annoyed, but they're just trying to find their way in a very hectic, demanding and challenging world that's not going to go away. And I think the joy I have at this moment in time is, is working with the next Ronaldo, the next Lewandowski, the next Timo Werner, the next Frank Lampard, the next Jose Mourinho, the next Alex Ferguson, because they're all down there trying to feed off all this stuff and realising that they can't just wander into it blind. They have to put some things in place. And that's what makes me wake up tomorrow morning and go, come on, we've got a new way of doing this. And uh, that's, you know, that's a sports leaker. And when you go into a club and, you, and you're talking about sleep, what do you take every aspect from them as an individual all the way to the, the physical bed they're sleeping on and the mattress and and everything that goes with it? Are you talking them through their process and sort of setting up a plan for them? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great question as well. The um, When you think about sleep, you just wake up in the morning, there's only so many hours before you've got to do it again, so you try and force yourself to sleep in the field. But there's all those little factors which you just mentioned. You know, I want to know about everything you do, what you eat, what you drink, how you go about your day, your occupation, if it's football, fine. Um, all the little outside influences, loads and loads of stuff. Where are you brought up? Were you brought up in a city with lots of noise and city noise? Or were you brought up in the, you know, in the countryside? You know, at the end of the day, you know, elite athletes, you know, across the world, we have the ability to sleep anywhere, anytime, on anything, in any way. That's what we do, guys. So when you try and focus it down into behavioural, lifestyle changes to occupational things like football, when you box it into that area, you still don't have to lose the respect from that I can actually sleep anywhere, anytime, any place, anywhere. Just like probably, you know, if I came around to all your houses at Christmas, being 60 years old, I'd probably have a snooze in front of the fire after the presents have been opened and they, you know, we've had our dinner. It's just like when you get into that world, it's such a natural recovery process that what's been very overwhelming for me is it's so simple. 
It's so easy. But that's what I find overwhelming about this then. But, so I think, you know, when you put it into context, sleep, the bit that you try to get to as a coach is don't try to stop. Don't try to tell somebody to stop worrying about their sleep. Is you take them on a little journey and then you find they stop worrying about it. And when they stop worrying about their sleep, amazing. That's when you create gold medal winners, world record holders, and teams that just, you know, and I think there's a good, good concept going on right now that probably in the, when you look at the teams, probably Arsenal, probably Tottenham, maybe Everton, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United catching up. When you look at all those teams, it's because, yes, they play football on a pitch. Yes, they play football in a world that probably lots of other clubs don't know. But they're also adopting certain techniques that everybody on this planet can, can do tomorrow. And it's about being able to be there at the right time in the right place, to have that mood and motivation. I'm waffling on that. I fully appreciate that. But, it, you know, you can make a significant difference in this area in so many ways. And there are organisations and clubs that are moving this to another dimension. And that's what's, uh, you know, that's what I'd like to hear when I'm talking to people. And you touched on then clubs moving in a new direction and dimension. I imagine your role since the 90s to today, it's, it's probably why you're still delivering the same uh, sort of agenda and you're trying to deliver the same outcome. I imagine it's changed quite a lot, the process. As you mentioned, people using social media before bed, some technology and quality of beds might be better. So while some things have improved, I imagine in other areas it's become more difficult. There's more distractions for players more now than ever. Um. It's a good question as well. I think they've always been there. You know, distractions, outside influences, they've always been there. So whether it's technology or whatever it want to be, you put it in there. But I think when you get a sort of understanding that your ability to get through any 24 hours is such a natural process. It's about what you eat, how you hydrate, how you exercise. You have a brain with bodily functions, that ain't going to change. There is a sun going around our planet that's not going to change. It creates a dimension called circadian rhythms called light, dark, and temperature shifts. There are four phases of the day. There are these changes that we should be so synchronized to. And so when you start to get into that particular area, you can actually, actually identify why Usain Bolt does this, why Ronaldo does this, why Messi does this, while, you know, Vardy does this. You can actually move it into that place to say, if you want to create human performance, whatever you're doing, whether you're a footballer, an NBA player, NFL, whatever it is, rower, you know, snowboarder, whoever you are, 
professional poker player. If you actually want to get to that point where you feel like you're delivering your personal best, more often than not, it has got to be down to sleep. And do you find that most of the athletes and sports stars you work with are, are receptive to your help, or is it really on a case-by-case basis? You're asking lots of good questions. I think it's, um, you know, I've been in this for two decades, 22 years now. Uh, I should have given up probably every year. Uh, from 98 to 99 to 90, all the way along that whole process, I should have given up. But I think the genuine answer to that question is, I think we're about, we're just starting to realise that um, sleep in that context, um, it's called active recovery. You're not doing nothing. You're being proactive. You're being more productive. You can make more time available to you. You can be more productive. You can reduce injury times. You can be your mood, your motivation, your alertness, your awareness. Everything else could just be so much, so much better. And I think we've just reached a point where most of my athletes, most of my players who I work with, they just like go, Nick, can you give me something that helps me recover in like 20 minutes? And mine eight hours or nine hours. I know sleep is important, but can, could you just make it quicker and faster? And it's go, well, we can, and hopefully we can. But at this moment in time, if you don't approach your sleep and your recovery in this particular way, then you're going to struggle. So I think there are some. You know, just hopping back. There, there were some people, Sam Allardyce, Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger. You know, there were some managers in the world of football who were really trying to open their spaces. Uh, Sir Dave Brailsford in British Cycling and Team Sky and now Ineos and stuff like that. I mean, there are groups of people who are really trying to push the barriers. But I think to answer your question is, how many people are actually doing this? Probably not that many. And just on that, Nick, how difficult can it be for you personally knowing that once they take your advice, and I'm not sure if that's delivered as a webinar, as a one-to-one, it might depend, that they've got to go and put that into practice, not under your observation. I can imagine sometimes people come to you and say, it's not working, but deep down you probably think you're not doing what I told you. Is It's sometimes an ongoing battle to make, the individual taking the information, but not only that, implement it as well. I think probably one of the reasons uh, for you asking me the question at the opening gambit to this uh, podcast is why would I engage with you guys? Is because you ask questions like that, right? And that question is something we should all think about because there are... You know, there are reasons why we're talking about, you know, I know your world is in football and stuff. There are reasons why we're talking about a top six. We are reasons why we're talking about all sorts of stuff. Because certain organisations and certain demographics across the planet are really trying to change and define what this means. So... If you have a group of organizations who have the ability 
to challenge and create this stuff, then why shouldn't they be able to go on? But I think what we should all do is learn from what we know, pass it on down through our generations and everybody we know, and just learn from it as much as we possibly can. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, I don't necessarily put that across. It's been a long day and everything else, but I think the sometimes when you, when you see groups of people who have more knowledge, more perception about stuff, and they sort of elevate themselves into a different demographic, I think what they should do is just turn around and go back down and release that education and release that knowledge into so many other people. So, yes, I've had an effect on a lot of individuals, a lot of organizations in the elite world. But my only drive when I get up tomorrow morning is how can we disseminate that down into championship clubs, League One, League Two, grassroots, right down all the way through. That's all you want to do. And how do you measure that, Nick? Because obviously what you do is is very important to a lot of clubs. It's very effective. And I suppose there's two angles from this. There's the performance on the pitch, but there's also the... the Improvements in their well-being as an individual, which we know will will come alongside having good sleep. It'll make your whole day easier, which in turn snowballs and you have a more productive day, you get things done. So do you have a way in sort of measuring the impact of what you do at all? Um, Not really, guys. Uh, Other than uh, smiley faces, happy people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, they feel more in control. They, they seem to, you know, put things in perspective better. You know, the positives that come along take advantage. The negatives that come along try to balance that effect. Anxiety and stress and stuff like that. Uh, don't get yourself in a hole. And I think it, 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 it's always been about the measure is... Um, along that route is not always about success. Um, Gold medals on the track, 2012 Olympic British cycling team or teams or that. It's just um, quietly in the background. You know, I get a WhatsApp notification from somebody. It just goes, wow, I've just done this. And so now it's a bit sort of subjective and out of context or something else. But, you know, I, I just feed off the fact that some people just make contact and go, wow, wow. Yeah, and I suppose the, the measure of it is <laughs> you've worked with some of the most elite sports people in the world in sports clubs, so you're certainly doing something right. Do you think from a... a from a club's point of view or a, a manager's point of view when they instruct you to come in and help, do you think for them they're targeting performance or they're targeting well-being? I know the two are sort of inter- intertwined, but 
Is it more to get that extra 1-2% out of the player's performance on the pitch, more so than this person struggling and they could probably do with getting eight hours instead of three hours a night? Tell you guys, you're asking red persons. <laughs> In the early days, and still apparent today, it obviously is about performance. You know, If you can uh, keep Ronaldo knocking in goals, taking penalties, smashing those goal kicks in, assists and stuff like that. At his age, amazing. We have Ryan Giggs, we have David Beckham, Paul Scholes, the list is endless, right? So if you can create that, there is a sustainable economy about it, about investing in players, and they're still doing it later on in life. There's branding and there's all... All sorts of stuff. But um, I think the grounding in all of that is it's a really difficult place for individuals to find their place, you know, to make their mark. Uh, And I'm not saying it was easier for these guys or those people or those girls in the world of football and sports and da 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 gender not specific. The challenge to make your way in the world today is far more difficult than it ever used to be. But it's not it's not to look at that in a fear factor. It's to look at everything that all of these people have done. Combine that together. Find your own little space. Don't think about fear. Don't think about this. You know, when the Olympics are going to happen, could be 2020, could be 21, when's the next World Cup? Yada, yada, yada. All that sort of stuff is going on. It's just to feed off all the wonderful things you have around you and collect them together and make yourself the best person you possibly can be in the world, in the space where you are right now. For somebody's mental health, um, which we don't necessarily give out advice on this podcast, we're we're here to ask questions of of experts and and hopefully our listeners can take snippets advice from the people we have on the show. Um, Now, there's a lot of different facets to what you do and, and each journey you have with the individual is very personal to them and you probably quite often, although the outcomes are saying don't have two people that have the same process. But is there any sort of quick tips for anyone listening or any any consistencies that you see for people who struggle with sleep that anybody listening it might help with? Is there any like a, a number one rule of something to stop or something to do? The biggest disruptor to sleep is worrying about it. That's because of lack of education, lack of awareness, lots of misunderstanding. You know, you wake up in the morning, there's only so many hours left, you've got to get to sleep. If you don't get eight hours, you're going to die. If you get six hours, you're going to die. I mean, you put all that contact in place. So I think the first principle for anybody listening to this is stop worrying about your sleep. Now, that's easy to say, but... Grab yourself, uh, you know, listen to this podcast. Uh, maybe reach out and speak to me privately and blah, 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 or any of you guys listening to this. 
is the moment you stop worrying about your sleep, the world just seems to be so much a better place. Because it's such a natural recovery process. And whilst you endeavor with the lack of education, the lack of awareness, to try and force it to happen, try to overcome it with addictive behaviors, caffeine and this and that, don't try and force it or make it happen. Just wake up tomorrow morning and just go, I am just going to let this thing reveal itself naturally every 24 hours. And as soon as you get to that point, it's amazing. Nick, do you um, do you think football is a sport that's behind the curve when it comes to the advancements of technologies and techniques? I would have to say no, because obviously working with Alex Ferguson some two decades ago would be uh, contradictory to where we are right now. But I think in general terms, in general terms, I think we've, we're, we're not even close, guys. We're not even close. I mean, British Cycling and Team Sky and stuff like that have made some real inroads into this. Uh, we're working in all sorts of different areas. But I think if you put it in context from the conversation I had with Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, back in 1998 to where we are now, I don't think we've made much progress. Do you, do you think there's a reason for that? I think we just like to believe, guys, that, um, you know, no fear, you know, eat, sleep, repeat, and just challenge every boundary that we can just go from, you know, running around the park to marathon to then Ironmans to Iron, Iron, Ironmans to stuff. We can just push boundaries of the human being beyond extremes. I think that's what we do uh, in every single level. I think it's just um, it's probably we're starting to realise that uh, you know that the we can push this and we want to push this. Of course we do, but you do have to remind yourself that there is a brain, bodily functions, and a circadian rhythms around us that are completely connected with how we operate. So we just need to find that balance of reconnecting with that and taking advantage of it. So I think we just jumped too far too quick. Yeah, I, I, I probably completely agree with you. Do you think the players at clubs struggle to find that kind of like work-life balance I mean when they're not working playing football they're often doing brand management not, they're not really getting away from what they do unless it's you know a, a six week break in the summer which they haven't had for nearly two years now three years so do you think that's difficult for them and, and how do they kind of get away from that because I imagine that's I needed to, to get a good night's sleep you always have to, you know, have some retrospective view on these are non-human stuff now, right? And 
we've always known about the winter period, excessive games, back-to-back, winter period, seasonal affective disorder, light, dark, and temperature, bar, you know, seasons are defined in the winter period, and all that sort of stuff, and pre-season. This. I think the uh, pandemic exposure has just revealed that you can't just do this. You can't just go back to back. You need to create space for family time and social time. You need to create human space. You need to understand the human better. You can't just push it and push it and push it and push it. Because ultimately, you will create a set of circumstances where it doesn't work. The model doesn't work. The model will not work. And I think we're we're very much in that particular place right now where if you expect elite athletes to not only live in a world of social media 24-7 and all that sort of stuff, but also to live in a bubble and to play and to be involved in the whole space, you're you know, they're likely to be going down a route where, you know, they just won't turn up. They can't turn up. You can't, you can't put human beings in this social experiment, this scientific experiment, this pandemic experiment. You can't just push human beings to that place and just expect them to work it out. You know, so, you know, I, I get... I'll have another 20 tonight, another 25 tomorrow, another 150 tomorrow. Just going, how on earth do I operate in this space? And I'm just a simple guy who's a sleep coach. You know, I have a website, I do my stuff, but I cannot even believe the world that some of my clients are actually living in right now. It just reminded me of an article today uh, from Owen Morgan, um, and he was speaking um, at an online event for uh, the cricket charity Chance to Shine, and he said um, about like the bubble environment that they created. It was cricket was like one of the first ones to really do it to try and save the the sport basically, and he's he's gone from being in a bubble in the summer to going to a bubble in the UAE. And he's, on one hand, you can obviously earn a lot of money doing that and it's it's great playing for your country. But he's actually turned around and said, we've spoken about it a lot with the guys and if anyone's, you know, mental health is affected by it, you know, people are going to pull out of tours and, and that's just going to be the reality of things. And he said, I don't think people should look down on it. Uh, and I don't feel like people should say they're not doing their job or they're not committing to their country. Um, and he goes into into it further, but it is really interesting how you how you highlighted the the complete differences in, in what these people are going through. And yeah, it's uh, it's um, you know I'm I'm not qualified to speak on this matter. I'm not, um, but from a personal point of view, you know, you know when you you look at these players and they live in these bubbles and they're creating stuff, obviously football. It's an amazing sport. It allows us all to 
you know, move in different directions. But they also have personal things inside of them. You know, so maybe a footballer has got, you know, a family friend who's about to lose their job because they work in a bar or a restaurant. And it's not to mean they're disassociating themselves from that world, but that's their family. That's their family. You know, they have wives and children, grandparents and stuff. And along that route, you know, somebody's going to lose their job. And it could be, a, you know, part of their family network. So I think the whole thing about mental health and well-being, which is so significant, is that you might think about Sergio Aguero, but you also might think about his sister, who works in a bar, in a restaurant, in Argentina, and she's going to lose her job. And that affects him. Right? Mm. So it's kind of, it's a, a really complex set of circumstances when you talk about mental health and well-being because, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not about money. It's not about where you are in the demographic in this state. It's actually, it's what's going on in the background for all of us in that whole thing, you know, and um, probably I should stop ranting now. <laughs> no, I think that was, that's, that's completely right, to be honest. I think there needs to be a, a, a bit more of a, an understanding of those issues as, as well, uh, particularly in, in, in the current, current climate. Um, what, I, what I wanted to ask you, and this might be a little bit prying, but how is it for you knowing all this like information? How is your sleep generally and, and how do, do you keep up with that as well? How do you, do you notice it straight away if something's not quite right or does it take you a little bit of time as well? I always get asked, you know, you must sleep well. You must have slept well last night. I gave that up a long time ago. I think all I do is trying to adopt a technique that allows me to deal with whatever's coming in front of me, whether it's positive or negative. And the positive step to stop worrying about sleep. It's just something that happens whenever my day ends. Uh, as long as I'm working in a nice, harmonious way, the scheduling with my chronotype, sleep cycles and stuff like that, it'll be absolutely fine. And that's what I've been working with with elite athletes all over this planet. I think it's just, if you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and think, I didn't sleep well last night, then just grab it. What are you going to do with it? Have another night like that? No. So, I, I've actually been adopting a... Um, breakfast presenters sleep wake cycle this week. So I've been waking up at 3.35, getting to the studio, being online at 6 o'clock in the morning, beautifully fresh, washed, showered, you name it, everything else. So I think when you start to adopt other people's lifestyles, you start to get a perspective 
Like, so if I was like this, what would be happening? So I've been adopting a breakfast presenter's lifestyle for the last three years. It's like, wow, we get up at half past three, we get a, go to the studio, we do this, and we're online at six o'clock, and then we're presenting. It's like elite athletes and all sorts of people, pilots, surgeons, nurses, radio presenters, YouTubers, podcasters, poker players. You just go, how do they do it? And when you yeah. dive into their world, you sort of go, oh, I see. So we can actually wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and actually operate at 6 o'clock in the morning. We can actually do that. And I think when you sort of get that concept together, then you have a perspective on life that actually I could be an Eskimo. I could live in Japan. I could live in the US. I could live in the east and west coast of the US. I could live in California. I could live in northern southern hemisphere. I could live anywhere. I could actually be a round-the-world single-handed sailor. I could be a professional mountaineer. I could be this. I could be that. And when you look at it like that, suddenly you get this thing into, how am I going to make that work? And most of us live in a get your eight hours, wake up tomorrow morning, crack on, when there's only so many hours left, do it again. And I think that whole concept of life is just like, forget it. Welcome back. I've still got Ryan here with me. Ryan, again, this was another one. You and you and Ant did one evening. Uh, took, took another evening off. I'm slacking here. Um, but again, listening back, it was, it was interesting to kind of, you know, I think we we kind of everyone everyone obviously knows the importance of sleep as we as we mentioned at the top of the episode, but maybe not some of the the little things that can be obstructive to sleep. Nick was talking about, you know, the main prohibitor to, to good sleep is worrying about sleep, which kind of seems like an obvious thing when you think about it. In terms of your takeaways from the episode, mate, what did, what were your sort of your biggest sort of learning points from from listening to Nick? Yeah, I, I think first for a caveat, anything to say with that because Nick was so in depth. Um, it probably would have went itself to being a really good interview in person, but because of COVID, it was it was obviously over the computer one night, and um, we we delved into the topic. But um, I'd probably be interested to speak to Nick in more detail moving forward. Um, for me, yeah, I think um, you touched on it slightly there. It's similar to like when people get nervous speaking in public that the nerves don't help. And it actually makes things worse. And it's similar with sleep. The more you think about the lack of sleep you've had or the sleep that you need, you end up almost stopping yourself from sleeping at all. Um, and I think what was interesting speaking to Nick was learning about the why. So you could ask anyone on the street, is sleep important? They'll say yes. You ask them why is it important? They may struggle to do so. So I think just Nick helped make sense of why it's important and tips for for getting to sleep he talked about like how he sleeps i don't think he sleeps with a pillow if i remember correctly and all different little things you can try so i mean i was telling you before this call i had one of those nights um night where i just couldn't sleep um my partner's cat wasn't very well and it just ruins your day the next day like when you've had a bad sleep and some people have that weeks on end and you can you can see why your your mental health will start to suffer when you're sleep deprived Um, 
there's a reason you have sayings like let's sleep it off there's a lot of recovery that happens during sleep both physical and mental and if you don't get enough you just can't recover it's as, it's as simple as that and you often find things start to snowball and you get a lot of negative momentum so one sleepless night can turn into two two turns into a week and by the end of the week if you're still going to work you're still looking after children or you're an athlete and you're performing and doing those things it's borderline impossible so yeah it was good to understand uh from Nick's point of view not just the importance but which us five changes you can make to perhaps get yourself into a nice pattern yeah absolutely one thing that I thought was interesting right there was was Nick was talking about when he approached Sir Alex Ferguson at Man United back in the late 90s um I think primarily because he'd seen maybe a bit of a gap in the it was something that the football wasn't utilizing was um was kind of sleep therapy or sleep coaching and I thought it was really interesting to learn from him that he kind of felt as though that with regards to sleep coaching that there hasn't been an enormous amount of progress even over the last two decades even though he was doing that work at Man United and he does work with a lot of really high profile clients he said I think he was kind of alluding to that kind of as an industry and, and football as an industry with regards to sleep coaching that hasn't been an enormous amount of of progress on that front mainly in the context of if we think about kind of sleep which is so important to recovery and performance as you've just said then right if so many clubs like few clubs are doing it i mean they wouldn't think twice about having like a physio at the club so it seems strange that you would not engage with this type of thing i can understand that from maybe a lower level club they may not be able to have the resources to afford that type of thing but certainly at the top level and i think you know when we extend these conversations to things like mental health and when we think about head the well-being role which is something you've suggested on a few episodes that clubs could could invest in um i think it's pretty much only brighton isn't it who've got a you've got that type of role in place which is um, a woman called cara lee mosley who's the the mental well-being manager at brighton hove albion they're obviously a very forward-thinking club brighton and dan ashworth's involved there isn't he was the england dna chap and you know i just think it's interesting when you sort of start to, to peel these things back football's made a lot of advancements with regards to using data analysis for performance and and you know and, and, and trying to improve on that front but when we look at things like well-being most of these things are all put in place you know sports psychology is another one we had obviously had dan abrahams on recently to discuss that it's all about performance isn't it? it's all about getting that edge it's all about you know the the, the few percents that they can get over their their opponents but when it comes to well-being it still seems to be a, a secondary thought when you know from the conversations that we've had with people i think it's quite clear that if they can you know if people have got a better well-being if people have got their mental health in a, in, in a more stable place then likelihood is their performances are going to be better as well so feels like we're put, putting the cart before the horse so to speak with mm-hmm. regards to that and um yeah it'd be nice to see some more people maybe invest in that type of you know heather well-being role that you were talking about in in, in quite a few of the episodes yeah i think they will i think they will I remember rob from it and uh, they hired a sleep expert i think at one stage i think when we're talking about percentages and fine margins and getting the extra one percent out of, out of people, they'll they'll just have to. And whether they put that forward as a as a well-being um, initiative or it's just strictly performance, we don't know. But I imagine the clubs that are, are early adopters are because they take more interest in welfare. Um, and and as we've touched on, if you take care of the welfare, I think the performance will follow. So I think if you are one of those clubs that, that looks into well-being to that degree, 
you will probably um, you'll probably benefit in the long term. And we haven't got insight into every club. We, we there might be some that are doing more than we actually appreciate. Um, what's quite interesting is we hear that Tramia that they have an app where they when they first go in they they suggest what mood they're in and some of that is linked to like the night's sleep they've had what they've got going on at home and they're in league two so maybe the premier league clubs some of them have got those type of things in place um but from the outside looking in the, the little amount you hear about it you do wonder why it's taken so long to to adapt it because there's so much going on now so much to be in a premier league football and now or even championship league one and the life must be so hectic that sleep's obviously going to be at the centre of that. And um, football's always caught up in some form of scandal. And you can imagine there's a lot of sleepless nights and there's a lot of travelling. And um, you, I used to always see on Twitter from players on a Tuesday night after they played, like, won't sleep tonight because they're so up for the game that kicks off at, like, 8 o'clock. They're all full of energy drinks and energy gels and stuff. Don't switch off. Time to get home. The brain's still wired. And stuff, stuff like that that you wouldn't even think about, where like they might lose a couple of nights, they lose the rhythm, and they might have a newborn child, and they've, they've got to do the, the night feed when they wake up. All little things that obviously normal people have to have to do as well in their, in their everyday life. But these things can fast get out of hand. And um, I think Nick Littlehouse touched on that, that clubs didn't really realise how much of a problem it was until they actually dived into it a little bit. And I do wonder if some clubs don't look into it too much because they almost don't want to deal with what they uncover. Yeah, I think that's 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 potentially true. And I think it's, it's it's yeah, as you say, we obviously don't know what every single club is doing. And, and you know, we'd love to know more. I think if there were, there were good things going on at clubs, I think it'd be good of them to, you know, to share it with people. I think fans and, and, and the sort of, you know, broader football and landscape would be interested to know about that. I think particularly with sort of recent events and with the current sort of state of the world, I think people have very, you know, become maybe more acutely aware of their mental health and have been more, more sort of engaged with it from, from that perspective. And as you say, Ryan, sleep is absolutely integral to that. And, you know, as you say, footballs are constantly moving about, you know, sleeping in hotels, sleeping in different countries, particularly at the top level. So being able to get that quality sleep for for recovery and also for your, for your well-being is absolutely crucial. Um, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up, mate. Thanks for thanks for your thoughts as usual. And thanks to to you, the listener. I'm just going to point you in the the direction of the usual signpost in locations, which is uh, the first protocol is obviously the Samaritans. If you do need someone to speak to at any point in the day, you can call the Samaritans for free on one one six one two three. The Calm Zone also have a um a, a free phone line as well, which is zero eight hundred fifty eight fifty eight fifty eight. And that runs from 5 p.m. to midnight. If you are interested in, you know, learning a little bit more about what Nick Little Hales does and the services that, that he offers, you can you can head over to his website, which is sportsleepcoach.com, uh, and they have a, a get in touch section on their website as well. And they uh, will obviously be tagging Nick in some in some tweets as well. But definitely worth reading a little bit more about the kinds of ins and outs of of what he does as a sleep coach, because you know it is fascinating. I think it's it's something. There's lots of tips in there that we can all t- pick up on and. You know, before we hand you over to Nick's quick fire, which is, you know, got some little tidbits in there in his in his quick fire about, you know, 
things you shouldn't shouldn't do before sleep or maybe things you should think about about your sleep that maybe will just give you a little bit of a little bit of peace of mind really when you're going into it but yeah before we hand you over to that quick fire remember that the purpose of man marking is to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health and we've started that conversation today but we're asking you to keep it going talk to your friends talk to your family talk to your colleagues and even talk to strangers but most important of all remember to listen because sometimes listening could save a life Thank you for listening to the podcast today and we'll see you next time. Um, is there anything we can do to prevent morning breath? I feel like I know this answer, but... Morning <laughs> breath? Yeah. Yeah, you can go on to uh, uh, com, which is a nasal dilator, and shove it up your nose, uh, learn to nose breathe, and when you learn to nose breathe rather than mouth breathe, then halitosis will disappear. Oh, there we go. See, my answer was just going to be just brush your teeth before you go to bed. But <laughs> <laughs> So, Nick, are you a one or two pillow kind of man? Uh, no pillow. No pillow? Interesting. That's like a baby. Yeah, Maybe well, that's the trick. The natural position for a human being, you know, brain, body functions, and all that. Uh, opposite side to your dominant side. So I'm right-handed, so that's left side. Left side is less sensitive, joints and muscles. It also protects the heart and genitals. Uh, so curled up in a natural fetal position on the opposite side to your dominant side reveals the less sensitive side which you're sleeping on. But it also reveals the dominant side where you can protect yourself from hippos and rhinos and all sorts of stuff that might come into your bedroom and affect your sleep. So the opposite side to your dominant side in a fetal position, no pillow. There are hundreds of thousands of pillows bought every year trying to make something work. So we coach people to sleep on the floor up the side of a mountain in a boat for three months around the planet, on a bike across America for 13 days. The pillow is just an annoying thing that if you can get rid of it and turn it into a comfort blanket, like sucking your thumb, little hand, little thing, little something else. But, you know, those pillows are just the most annoying things on this planet. Does eating cheese before bed really give you nightmares? Absolutely. It depends what cheese you're eating. It could be Greer or Santa Gur, or it could be, you know, cheddar or uh, processed stuff you put in your burgers. It could be all sorts of stuff. In other words, if you uh, drink three bottles of wine before you go to sleep, it's going to affect your sleep. If you eat certain things like High carbs, high proteins, cheese, stuff, anything that's going to complicate your life. Of course it will. But, you know, if you get complex about eating cheese, is going to, then you're in a bad way. <laughs>